0: So again, Matt's introduced me, but my name is Bill. I'm an elder here at Trinity. Uh, Matt's allowed me to bring the message today, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I thank God for giving me this message. It's it's definitely not by my own power. Let's pray real quick. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together that we can come together as your body to worship you, to love you, to praise you, and to glorify you. Please help us as we go through this message, Lord, just to... uh, unravel a little more of your mystery of how amazing you are in jesus name amen so typically if you've been here before you uh you know that there's two stools and a table on this stage and they're not here today because of the kids choir but hey let's say i needed that i really wanted that table to put my stuff on and i needed somebody to go get it now we have uh upstairs we have a, a room supply room that's full of junk Full of stuff. And if I said, hey, go get me that table, would you be able to go get me the right one? Let's just say that you'd lived under a rock or in a cave all of your life and you didn't really even know what a table was, much less what this one was. So if I sent you up there with all the chairs, the tables, the stools, the desks, the wreaths, the Christmas decorations, and all the other junk that fills that room... I would want you to succeed in your task of bringing me back what I requested and what I desired. But to do that, I have to describe to you what you're seeking. So that when you walked in out of, um, amongst all the stuff, you could pick it out. And you would succeed in your task. So I would say, hey, it's a brown table, dark brown, maybe three and a half foot tall, three foot tall, round circle top three foot around, shiny, one center leg, four to six inches round, a little bit decorative, branches off into four legs to keep it stable. Now, if I described it enough, when you went up there, you would be able to pick it out. We do that with directions when somebody wants directions. We do it with Christmas gifts. Oh, Mom, Dad, I want this. What in the world are you talking about? Well, it's this, this, this. We describe things all the time, but some things are really difficult to describe and understand and discern. So today I want to talk about glory. Can you describe glory to me? Man, when when I started studying this, I had issues because you can't just put glory up here on stage and say here's what it is, it looks like and it's shaped like and it is. Glory's kind of a mystery. It's used many, many, many times in the Bible, hundreds of times. Glory, glorious, glorify. But what is it? What is glory? So we're going to be finishing our 16 weeks, 16 words of Romans this week. So I ask you to turn to chapter 16 in your Bibles, and we'll start in verse 1 here in a minute. But we're going to try to examine what is glory. I'm going to read... 1 through 16, or at least uh, 1 through 13, and guys, I didn't study Hebrew, I didn't grow up in Rome back in the time that Paul wrote this, and I am going to butcher these names, so bear with me, I I feel like I'm reading Leviticus, but uh, right. one, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Caesarea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary... Who worked very hard for you. Greet Androsius and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Amphionatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my co worker in Christ, and his dear, or excuse me, my dear friend, Stasis. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Typhina and Typhosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend, Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me. And he continues his greeting. Now, in the first 16 verses, we heard Paul greet. But did you hear glory in that? Did you hear glorifying in that? Did you see it anywhere in there? See, when I studied it the first time, I, I missed it. Because I lacked the knowledge of what glory is. But I tell you that glory is all the way through those first 16 verses. Let's break them down just a little bit before we get started with glory. Now, Paul wrote these to people he knew. The first thing I want you to notice is that he wrote these to people in the church. Now, last chapter we learned that Paul had never been to Rome, but yet he knew all these people in Rome in the church. And he had relationship with them. You can tell by the way he spoke about them. How, how does that come to be? Well, see, the church is mobile, just like it is today it was back then. See, God doesn't want us sitting in one place. He's commanded us to go and make disciples wherever we're at. Whether it's in Sweetwater, at Trinity, across the street at Emmanuel, down the road at Bethel, if it's in Abilene, wherever. Y'all know we've had people who have moved away from Trinity and gone on to other places, and they're still discipling. And we've had people come in. So see, Paul knew these people because of his missionary travels. He'd met them. Some were exiled from Rome during a five-year exile when they kicked the Jews out. Others he met because of their job, their trade, wherever they were, and he knew them. So the church is mobile. Second, we saw that they met in various locations. This is a letter to the church in Rome, but it's not one church in Rome. It's multiple meeting places of the church. See, we're called to be The church doesn't matter that we're meeting here and they're meeting there and they're meeting we're one church together one unified body but Paul talks about church homes people who meet in houses right we know that these churches are in different places they're in different locations God he created us for relationships first a relationship with him and then a relationship with others See, he creates for that relationship with him first and then others. And we're commanded to go and be together, to fellowship together, to love together, to lift each other up, to be a family. Third thing we see is that there's unity, or excuse me, there's diversity in this first church. There's diversity in the church in Rome. Did you catch it? Let's see, we see Jews and we see Gentiles, two different sets of people. We saw rich, we saw poor, prominent citizens, prisoners, singles, couples. We saw men who served, and we saw women who served. The church is a diverse group of people. Diverse group serving and honoring our God. See, God loves us all, and He doesn't discriminate. He created each one of us, no matter where you're at, no matter what you think about yourself or think about others. He created each one of us to love, and to care for the same. The same. So the church is diverse then, just like the church is diverse now. Next we see that Paul shows there's unity and a bond between him and the people that he names. Do you see the words that he used to describe some of them, to talk about them? He said, brother, sister, co-worker, mother to me, Fellow Jew, dear, dear friend. And there was a relationship and bonding between them. There was family and there was unity. Unity in the church. God desires unity in the, in the church. See, He adopted us into His family. Ephesians, it talks about us being adopted into, into God's family as children of God. And his children were brothers and sisters and friends and co-workers together. Together. One body, unified, because of Jesus Christ. And last, we see that people bore fruit for his kingdom. See, we see a benefactor aiding other Christians. We see co-workers working alongside. We see some who risk their lives. Others with church in their homes opening up allowing their possessions to be used for God's, We see converts and we see people who love. See, God's blessed us with gifts and talents and possessions that He desires for us to use for His glory and to lift up and build His kingdom. And as Christians, we're called to bear fruit. We're commanded to bear fruit for Him, to show love toward our God. So now going through those, did you hear glory yet in those first 16 verses? Maybe a little? See, I still have a problem. I I just don't quite get what glory is. I want to go through today and look at glory from a couple of different angles. And from the different angles, when we look, we're going to start to see a picture of what glory is. When we talked about the table up here, we didn't talk about just one part of it, we talked about the entire thing. Has different parts, and together that came together to form a picture in your mind of what it is. So let's look at glory from a different, several different angles. Matt read in Second Chronicles this morning, and we heard that glory is of the Lord. Glory is God's. God, the Creator, God, the Father. Glory is God. And the best way that I know how to describe God's glory. The best way I know how to describe it is it's the beauty of the character of God. It's the beauty of the characteristics of God that we see. And you say, wait, see character? What? How do we see his character? How do we see his glory? Well, first we see it in his creation. He is the creator of everything, right? I'm going to go to Psalms 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words into the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. The heavens declare the glory of God. See, God's glory, His characteristics are put into creation. We see Him in that beautiful night, summer sky, clear and bright, no clouds, stars shining, galaxies that we can't fathom. And we see glory in that. We see glory in the mountains, strong and mighty, reaching up through the clouds. We see glory in the painted sky of a sunset. We hear it in the sound of the ocean waves crashing against the shore. We see it in the miracle of birth. We see it everywhere around us. And we're created too, so we see it in us, right? We see His characteristics in creation and we see them in us. But in us, it's much more pronounced. See, it goes deeper in us. Because we have a spirit in us. We have a spirit. Isaiah 43, 6 through 7 says, Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. What were we created for? His glory. For his glory we were created. But we're given a spirit that lives inside us. We were created for his glory. And the beauty of man's spirit, the beauty of man's spirit is what shows the glory of God. In each one of us, no matter what you think of yourself. See, it's manifested in us through our loving actions, through the arts, music, painting, poem. Through imagination dreams and discoveries through forgiveness through worship through obeying our lord and through love through love what i want you to understand is, as we emulate the characteristics of god his glory flows out of us and in turn we glorify him listen to this again and this is what i want you to get today As we emulate the characteristics of God, as we emulate those characteristics of God, see, His glory flows out of us, and in turn we glorify Him. Don't you love it when if you have or have had children, that your children mimic you? Don't you love it when they mimic you and they do the good things that you do? Hopefully not the bad, but the good things that you do. Doesn't that glorify you and say, man, look, at what i have taught look at my child who loves me enough to emulate me to be want to be like me doesn't that glorify you a little doesn't that give you praise see god created us to use those characteristics that he has to glorify him to glorify him and we see those manifested in different ways his characteristics. But if we look at it, we go, wait a minute, I remember Matt this morning reading about God's glory, and it went into a building. It went into the temple. So now Bill's telling me it's in me too? So let's read 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 real quick. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, that temple is long destroyed, and God's glory doesn't reside in it anymore. Because of the saving grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has reconciled us in our relationship to God, we are now the temple. We are each God's temple. And His Spirit dwells in us, lives in us. His characteristics are in us, manifested through the Holy Spirit. And in turn, His glory is in us. His glory is in us. Go to Acts 2, 1-4. through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Does that sound familiar? Now this is after Jesus Christ died, was resurrected, and ascended back into heaven. The disciples are gathered around. Does it sound a lot like what Matt read this morning in his scripture? Fire came down from heaven, from God. But instead of the glory dwelling in the building as a temple, the Holy Spirit dwelt in us as the temple. That Holy Spirit living in each one of us as Christians because of Jesus Christ. See, this is powerful, powerful stuff powerful, that we can have the glory of God dwell in us. Remember in that scripture that Matt read this morning, the priest couldn't even enter. People bowed down and worshipped the glory of God dwelling in the temple. So let me ask you this, when you look around at the other Christians in this room or out in the world, do you want to bow down and worship God's glory? Because it's in you. Do you see God's glory manifested enough that you just want to praise Him? That you want to glorify God and worship Him because of His characteristics flowing out of others? What about in you? Do you see glory manifested from you for God because of His characteristics? Paul did. So think back to those first 16 verses. Do you see glory now? See, what Paul was doing was he was looking at the characteristics of God that others that he knew and loved used. Those wonderful characteristics of God that they used for His glory, to build His kingdom. And Paul was worshiping God through their gifting, through their talent, through their love. See, not only do we see the glory of God displayed in these people, but, it, but see, they're glorifying Him. As they use those characteristics that Paul has called out in them, they're glorifying God. They're glorifying God. See, godly characteristics displayed in the people of Roman church, he appreciates them and values their spirit and their service. Now, if I would have wrote the letter, which would have been terrible, um... And ended with a greeting, How do you think my greeting would have gone? I, I know how my greeting probably would have gone. See, instead of greeting a diverse body and discussing and honoring their godly characteristics, I would have wrote a letter honoring the prominent, the wealthy, the upbeat Romans. Because, see, when I get there, I want to be praised and I want to be worshipped and I want to be taken to the best hotel, fed the best meals. So when I write the letter, I write to the Romans and say, hey, man, I, I see that your business is doing wonderful. It's great. I'm glad to see that. I see there's trade people. See, the problem is, as sin dwells in my body and sin tries to overcome me in my flesh, I want to glorify myself. I want to make it about me. I want to make it about me. I want to twist twist the glory and the characteristics to benefit myself. We're in Romans 16 today. We started in Romans 1. Let's go back to Romans 1 and read 1, 21 through 25 for a minute. See, we like to distort God's glory. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to, in the sinful desires of their hearts. To sexual impurity, to the disgrading of their bodies with one another, they exchange the truth about God for a lie, and they worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. See they twisted glory, I twisted glory, and God will not stand not to be glorified. It's his characteristics. It's his creation. You are his. But when you twist it, man, God can't stand it. Can't stand it. What's he say? He says, Do not put idols above me. And when we twist glory, we begin to make it about ourselves or other people or other things. What idols do you have? Do we all have idols? we tend to look at the object that God's glory is coming through instead of God's glory coming through the object. See, when we look around us, we want to look at how amazing that is, how amazing creation is, how amazing this building is that was built, how amazing my spouse is, how amazing I am. And we make it about that instead of God's glory coming through it. See, we tend to look at the object of God's, that God's glory is coming through. The object that God's glory is coming through instead of God's glory coming through the object. See, we all have those idols. Idols of money, power, jobs. Maybe it's your family's your idol, your children. But see, all of those, like Scripture just said Are mortal things. I don't care what you think about your job, it won't be there forever. Your money goes up and down. Your physical health, if that's something that you just thrive on, it's going to wane one day. Your mental abilities, death's going to come, sickness. And what happens when those idols fall? Because they're mortal. We get depressed. We're hopeless. We're lost. But when we place, when we place our trust in God who is immortal, who lasts forever, who is eternal, that idol will never fall. If we glorify the one who is true and right, we'll never be let down. See, we have to keep our eyes on the one true God. See, we have to continue to emulate those characteristics. The characteristics of God, we emulate those and in turn we glorify Him. So let's continue looking at Romans 16 and we'll pick up in verse 17 where Paul warns us about our warped warp focus of glory. Romans 1617 and 18 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Paul's warning us, man, you got to glorify the right thing. You have to continue to glorify the right thing. You have to understand what that right thing is. Because there are going to be people who come in Things that come in that want to sway you from the truth. They want to take you on a different path, away from the one true God. They want to take you to glorify them, their success, their power, their money. And Paul sits here and he talks about naive people. They're the ones who are going to get swayed. So, who are the naive people? Anybody want to raise their hand and say they're naive? Probably not. But naive people can be any one of us. Naive people can be the rich, the poor, men, women, it doesn't matter. Naive doesn't mean stupid. Naive means that you don't know. That you don't understand. So who are the naive people? They're the people who know of God... They know of Jesus Christ. They know of a Holy Spirit. But they don't know God. They don't know Jesus Christ. And they don't know the Spirit, and the Spirit doesn't dwell in them. See, they're the people who have a Bible that sits on their mantle, sits on their desk, and just gathers dust. They're naive because they don't know God. 2 Timothy 3.14 says... Uh, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and, from, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So who's the naive person? They're the person who doesn't have scripture in their mind daily. Who doesn't have it written on their heart. Who hasn't memorized. Who doesn't study it. Because see, all scriptures God breathe, And it's useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When people come who want to glorify themselves and take the glory away from God, if you're naive, you don't know the difference. But if you're studied, if you know God, if you know the truth from His Word, then you're able to rebuke and correct. You're able to teach those around you so that God is glorified. So that God is glorified. God commands us to obey Him. Bring that into your heart. He commands us to obey Him in so much more. He commands us to obey Him in everything He says, every single thing. How many commands can you think of in your mind today that God has commanded us? Are you staying true to those? We'll continue in verse 19. Paul says, Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul commends them. They're obedient. The church in Rome is obedient. They're following the commands of God and they're doing well in it. See, He sees those characteristics flowing again. Characteristics of God flowing through the people. They're obedient to Him, loving Him. But then he turns and warns them. Paul doesn't, in the next verse, he doesn't take us back to the beginning of Romans. He takes us all the way back to Genesis, to the very beginning. Look at what it says. I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Think of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were created, what did they know? Only good. They were only wise about good. They were innocent of evil. But because they disobeyed God, now Paul just told the Roman church, man, y'all are doing great, y'all are being obedient, and we're hearing about it everywhere. But he's saying, watch out. Remember when Adam and Eve were disobedient? What happened? They no longer were only wise about good and innocent about evil. Now they knew evil. And because of that, it is in each one of us, our sinful nature. But God made a promise. See, in that story of Adam and Eve in Genesis, after they eat of the apple and they learn the truth of good and evil, God curses them. He curses the serpent, He curses Adam, He curses Eve. And what does He say to the serpent? that these children will crush him underfoot. See, Jesus Christ is coming one day. And as Paul writes this, he knows that Jesus Christ has come. And Jesus Christ, dying and raising again, has crushed Satan. We know that more is coming in Revelations but he's crushed it. We have the power of God. We've been reconciled to him, but it's because of our obedience to follow his commands to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. See, obedience is definitely another way that we can glorify God. Skip a few verses, and we'll end with this. Verse 25 powerful letter to the Romans we're going to end up with a powerful ending now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Man, y'all can, can come up here at any time. Uh, but, guys, what an ending. What an ending. Paul says, To him who is able to establish you, who is able? God is able. God is able. He is the only one who's able. God is able to do anything, He is the creator. It's His characteristics that we emulate to glorify Him. What characteristics do you say? How about this? Love, joy, power, holiness, honor, hope, grace, mercy, patience, beauty, wonder, justice, and on and on and on. And they're manifested from God into creation and into us. Our glorious God, who's beyond full understanding, gave us the gospel. He gave us that message of salvation. So we can continue to glorify Him. So this week, as you go out, man, are you looking for His glory? Maybe do you have a better definition, a better understanding of what glory is, so that's it's more easily saw, seen, whatever, by y'all? All By us, by me. See, God is a mystery. He's greater than I can fathom. He's greater than any of us can fathom. But if we understand a little more, we see Him a little more often. Stay in the Word. Don't be naive. Because of His Son, we have that relationship. We have that desire. I want to ask you today that if you don't know the Son... The one who has reconciled us to God so that we can allow that Spirit to dwell in us so that His glory lives in us, so that we can in turn glorify Him if you don't know Him. Seek one of us today. Matt's going to come up here. I'm going to come up here or be up here. Talk to one of us. Man, we'd love to tell you about how to get God's glory in you. Amazing glory. Altars are open. Pray. Another way to glorify God, get on your knees and just praise, pray. Ask for help, He's the God who's able.